everybody. This is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations, and we are indeed going to be traveling virtually Crosstown today as we talk about how our city um, dealt, first of all, yesterday with the, uh, I mean over the weekend rather, with with the flooding from this most current, and that's what I want to emphasize, most current downpour that was exceptional, as we know, but it was exceptional in the past tense, but not the future tense. And that is the thing that we really need to grapple with. And, and, and let me just say on the outset, I have some very interesting people in the room with me right now. Y'all have heard from citizens. I'm sure that some of you at least attended the meeting at city council, or you saw it on the news, or you heard about it, and you talked to your neighbors. So you, you know what our, our citizens are saying, but uh, we have some people in the room who have some expertise in different ways, and so we're going to hear their perspective. But I want to tell you that my perspective on this, just so you know, I'm not here to finger point to one vic- one factor that is the cause of what happened. There are too many different factors involved. And the, the, the approach, the solutions to this are, are not about firing one guy, changing the culture even of, of an agency. The solution lies in all of us being a whole lot more thoughtful, innovative, and, and I, I, actually my fourth guest just walked in, so I'm going to repeat what I'm saying, that <clears throat> uh, Dana, we're not finger pointing. Although we're going to do some finger pointing, but we're, we're not going to try to, you know, isolate the blame to this one or that one or this part of government to that part of government. We're going to, we're going to throw a wide net, as they say. But also, we we have to approach this creatively and with the, with the understanding and the realization that we are dealing with new normals, but not dealing with new normals in the sense of saying, oh, well, climate change, therefore, what the hell, just get used to it. No, we've got to, we've got to deal with it. We've got, if New Orleans is going to survive, we have to remember that we're virtually an island. I mean, I, I saw a map recently that, you know, put my sensibilities as to New Orleans in a whole different light. And I looked at it and I said, oh, my God, we really are virtually an island because we are so surrounded by water. So if you're an island in the Gulf of Mexico during a time of serious global warming and and there's a new study that is in the making that if the president allows it to be released, that's been done by a lot of national experts, we're going to just see how significant climate change already is. And, and here's one of the columnists I came across. He really put it for me very succinctly. It's not a question of, um, it's not a question of then, it's a question of now. It's not later, it's now. We are dealing with climate change now. And, and I have with me, it's because I was trying to explain, how do, you, how do you explain the link between increased heat and increased pre- um, precipitation? And H.J. Um, Bosworth, Jr. is one of our guests today, and he is a civil and structural engineer. Uh, he's a director of research with levies.org. And um, his explanation is very simple. Repeat that for my audience. Yes, thank you very much. The, um, what happens in an area that's wet once the sun starts beating down on the pavement, once the sun, sun starts beating down on the rooftops and that sort of stuff and everything gets warm, it warms up the air. The air rises. It takes the humidity with it. With with the warm air and the warm humidity, it reaches up to the clouds and become clouds. And at that point, the more moisture you evaporate from the earth, and you don't necessarily see it, the it bigger up. the cloud, the bigger the clouds are going to be, and the big, the more likely the clouds are going to be going to burst, just burst and dump all over you, and drop that water. <laughs> and and we're going to get these huge downpours that we are getting. And, and and anybody who wants to say, oh, this is just some isolated downpour. Okay, the last one we had that was really as bad as this was in May. Uh, it was in the 80s. I don't remember the exact date. Anybody remember? 1995. 1995? No. There was another. There was a bigger one even before that when I was still staying here that was in the 80s. Anyway, we've had a couple of these before. But the truth is 
the likelihood is that there's going to be more of them more frequently. The last one we had was the 22nd of July, for goodness sake. That was, that was four inches. So this is, this is something we are going to have to deal with if we want to continue to live in the city of New Orleans. So with me, in addition to um, HD, HJ, bad initial there, I can't read my handwriting. I have Dana Ennis, who is the executive director of the Urban Conservancy and also works with this wonderful effort, Stay Local, which is one of my favorites. Um, I don't know if Prisca Weems is on the phone yet. She's calling from the West Coast. We'll see. She should be in in a minute. She's coming in from the Water Collaborative. Julia Kumai. Kumari. Uh, Kumari. Kumari. It's my handwriting. I just it's terrible. Uh, Drapkin is CAO and um, founder of IC Change, and we'll hear more about that. And then um, Joe Bruno, one of my favorite attorneys in the city, who is the guy who really went after the uh, core uh, with the levy breach litigation. And he continues to be somebody who is, keeps his eye on this situation. So, um, yeah, we have, some, we have some interesting folks in the room. So let, let me just say this again. Uh, let's talk about the constituencies, the context of all the different kinds of entities, people who were involved in this mess. Let's start with our citizens. Okay, so one of the things we're going to really emphasize on this show uh, today is, is not just what we want them to do, but what can we do? What can citizens do to be partners in what has to happen? The um, Sewage and Water Board, obviously, they're the guys who, um, I, I don't know what they were thinking when they thought they were going to get away with this idea that we're a capacity within the bounds of a, a pumping station being operative only at half level. I mean, that was the most bizarre PR I've ever heard. But, you know, PR is supposed to be controlled out of the top in, in city government. So I, I just, you know, I, I think they're taking a pretty big hit, but I'm sorry, folks. That hit goes around, not just right the, down at that level. It goes all the way up. Gene, you have to remember the Corps of Engineers did the same thing. They said the levees performed as designed. When they fell down, so it's a, it's a, it's interesting to see the parallel. That's true. So I don't, you know, I, it's. A and we'll go back to that and, and what that was all about, because that that was one of the lessons that I took away from Katrina that I'll never forget. That versus the 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 uh, the T versus the I walls and how they wound up doing I walls. Which, by the way, Joe, the only way that we probably depart on this is I think that that was in part. The fault of Congress, too, not just the Army Corps. But anyway, okay, then we I'm have... I'm not going there. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, no. <laughs> okay, well, we, we can debate that. Nope. Um, homeland Security. Uh, we're going to talk about Homeland Security because they have, there hasn't been a whole lot of focus on them. But from where I come from, Homeland Security are the people who have been set up to deal with emergencies, whether they are terrorist threats or they are weather events. That's the agency that's supposed to coordinate everybody. Did you hear? Did you hear from from Homeland Security at all? I I, I didn't. Maybe y'all. Did you all? Anybody well, I think from the, the, the problem is is they don't really know or understand that that's their obligation because we think that that is their job. I don't know that they know that it's their job. Um, it's it's difficult to assess. Um, that you didn't hear from them. I know that, which which sends a pretty that's what loud. I'm saying. It's not a very big department in the yeah. city yeah. government. When you said you didn't hear from them, what do you mean during the council meeting? I, I, I didn't hear from them during the event. I didn't hear any warnings coming from Homeland Security. Now, I'm not a huge social media person, so if a whole lot was coming out on social media, it didn't get to me. And by the way, how many other citizens of New Orleans are not particularly big social media people? So, I mean, for us to assume that the way to communicate with everybody is through social media in an emergency, I don't know about that. Let me just keep going on the list for just a minute. We'll add them all up. Public Works. Okay, so Public Works is responsible for the things like cleaning catch basins and, and keeping the pipes free of, what do you call those toys they throw at Mardi Gras? Somebody was telling me that the, our sewer lines the are... Balloons? <laughs> no. Plush toys? Plush toys. That, our, that plush our lines are filled with plush toys and Mardi Gras beads, <laughs> not to mention leaves that people literally use catch basins as garbage bales. So that's back on us. And then you have the mayor's office. And then you have the feds 
and the global community that's supposed to be dealing with climate change. So all of these parties are parties to this issue. It's not just Cedric Grant. I'm sorry. I feel a little sorry for Cedric. Maybe I shouldn't, but and, and I, I know this is a great guy. Hmm. I mean, he worked yeah. his behind off for of forty years. He's been around years. forever. He's a great guy. There's no doubt about it. And I do believe they lied to him. Yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah. I think everyone's shaking their head in here. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm not sure exactly where to start, but he here's what I did. I said, okay, let's go from the cash basins on up. You go from the cash basins to the lines to the pumping stations, and then from the pumping stations it goes to the lakes, right? So I think, you know, it starts with us. It really does start with citizens first. Okay. I mean, you know, it's our job as residents. And, I, you know, what you're saying about yeah, what, you're, what you're saying about climate change being an integrated issue that's the whole point. That is the greatest challenge about climate change. It's not just the one person. It's all of us from the individual up to global entities who are trying to handle this. And so, you know, it asks of us as people, as societies, something that we've never really been asked of uh, in terms of collaboration and integrated thinking. And we're, we're experiencing that at the city level in a very, very extreme, you know, very concentrated way in these last week. But this is the moment where we actually start to, like, draw those connections. So, yeah, it starts with a homeowner. And Dana, is you take it about from the homeowner and how they're supposed to manage water. From our perspective, we want them to monitor rain and persistent puddles. Uh, we have people um, who've been monitoring their homes uh, for the last, since May, June, July, and August, which most people won't necessarily know, but will feel that we were above normal, right? It's been a cooler than usual summer. We've been anywhere from 130 to, I think this event will probably put us at 200, 250% of normal for our rain. Um, if you think of, of uh, us getting about six inches. 200%, uh, that's yeah. what I have, May, June, and July, 200% uh, above yeah. average. August will be more because we've mm -hmm. been keeping rain gauge totals, uh, you know, August is usually a, a drought kind of month. We're usually dry in August. Right. It was last year. Yeah. 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 Well, over over time, it's it's more often been. And, and, and let me just uh, say something, comment quickly on that before we go into Dana addressing this also in the present tense. But let's not forget for one second who brought the city of New Orleans back after Katrina. It wasn't the city council. It wasn't the mayor. It wasn't the feds. It wasn't the state because they were all AWOL. They were deers in the headlines. They didn't know what to do. They did, they were they were frozen. It was the Latoyas. It was the uh, Diane. What's her name? Uh, Thornton's wife. Oh, uh, Denise. 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 Yeah. You know, it was um, the lady who runs MLK school in the Ninth Ward. It was it, it was people all over the city who brought their own neighborhoods back. Right. So we have learned that lesson already. That citizens are the ones who have to who have to take control of the situation and, and address it. Now back, Dana. Let's talk about what. Can citizens do catch basins? I'm told that the, that people literally use the catch basins for garbage disposal. They put their leaves there. They put their plush toys in Mardi Gras. Uh, that's, that one killed me when they said they literally find plush toys in Mardi Gras beads in the lawns and, and so on. So obviously the city got money, I understand almost $3 million, to deal with the catch basins and um, haven't done it yet, and uh, it was unclear. The, the little line that I read somewhere was that, oh, uh, well, they have to do some environmental studies or something before they can actually put that into play. I think that's Prisca there. Oh, great. Prisca, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good. Okay. Um, so uh, Prisca Weems is um, a, a water consultant and expert. She's also part of the um, Water Collaborative, and we're going to pull her into this discussion also. But... Um, in fact, it was it was really um, a, a matter of um, uh, the city not having the not having the process move fast enough to to get the work done. So the catch basin work has not been done, and and they need to do it. But guess what, guys? You know, when you want something done in your in your neighborhood, what do you do? You get on the phone with somebody, don't you? You call I do you. it myself. Yeah, mm -hmm. I do it myself. Okay, okay. so let's talk I about do it myself. I don't, how can we I'm not waiting for them. How can we as citizens work together in addressing the catch basin issue, which seems to be I don't know what percentage, but it's definitely an important percentage. Dana? 
Yeah, I can talk to, to you about that. Um, the, um, I'd also like to at some point address taking one step back from that and doing what we can do on our own private lots before we even get to the catch basin because there's a lot that we can do with that water falling out of the sky landing on our lots um, before it even gets to the catch basin. But with the catch basin, that is something that people right now as we speak, they're already organized around that. The trash mob is doing regular cleanouts. Um, Neighborhood associations do regular cleanouts. I went out to clean out my basin, and I had three neighbors joining me because they immediately thought it looked fun enough to do on a rainy day um, to, to join me and, and understood exactly what I was, why I was doing it. Um, it, is a, it is an easy thing to organize around. You do need to make that call at the point where when I was doing some catch basin cleanout at a certain point, I hit a basin that was clogged all the way down. I mean, there's the, you know, plush toys all the way down. So you, um, and other things as well. So we're at the point where your arm can't reach any further. You really do. And that number is, that's an easy call to make. It's 311. You get a number. You need to identify the house uh, address that's closest to it. You call it in. You get a number so you can track it. If, if you want to call back and check and see what the progress is, you call back. But it, it works. I mean, they come out and they will clean it out at a point it gets beyond it. Well, it 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 it, 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 yeah, it takes it takes dogged determination. But you I can was just going to say you yeah. can't make one call. Nothing no, ever is never, one call, no. well, except Morris Bart. That's the only one that's <laughs> one call. But everybody else, it takes several calls to stay on it to make sure that it gets done, and literally have to look back and look back and say, well, did it get done or not? And and so w w what they do is they come with big vacuum machines, huh? They pull it out? How does that, it work? That's, that's true. They, they do have a, like a sectioning kind of equipment. Um, but, you know, Department of Public Works, the whole name and the, the derivation of the department, actually, before we used to word infrastructure, we used to say public works. It was a collaborative act. And, yeah, everyone should be cleaning out their drains. But, you know, again, going back to what, and I'm throwing back to Dana because I don't want to lose this point, is the idea of capturing that water before it hits the drains because actually as the more water we flush into our drains it really underserves our city and its needs with regards to our issues with subsidence and how our, our soil is shrinking in if you think of, of the city being um, a sponge right or a swamp as it dries and swells and with water or lack of water it starts to crack and break and the more we can keep it wet we keep the water out of our drains, we keep the water out of our pumps, and we keep the water in the soil, which will help people, like, with all the problems we have with our subsidence, with our I cracking foundations. So I, I know Priska wants to add on to this, too, because Priska and I were talking about this on the phone. Priska, you, you had some thoughts about how to do exactly what um, we're talking about. Well, um, so Julia's talking about essentially creating a, what they call a water balance in the soils. Um, and, you know, we have two major types of soils. There are different conditions that require um, a different level of um, water in the soil. Um, it, you've all touched on really important points that kind of lead into a bigger theme, which is what, how, what, how can we individually take a collective action that's going to change the paradigm of the challenge that is facing us? And how do we start to, you know, make incremental and yet very meaningful um, you know, moves towards a much bigger goal, which is true resilience in the city of New Orleans and our ability to maintain habitation there for long, you know, for long into the future. Um, so as subsidence is absolutely critical, and the city's gentially resilience um, district concept, um, which, you know, I think a lot of people are challenged with because it really addresses putting water, holding water where it falls, putting more waters back into the soil, and using open water um, elements to maintain that water balance so that we have the right levels of moisture in the soil. That's a, a big leap for people, but it is a really, really critical step. And that project is important and has gained, garnered such national um, attention because what that's going to do is give us the data back on how we can effectively do that in all neighborhoods throughout the city. But, you know, it's also part of a larger strategy that's looking at, you know, the urban water plan, the Greater New Orleans Urban Water Plan, which is, you know, using that as one strategy, but also beginning to look at the use of um, the public assets that we have, like our park systems, like which often are at the lower levels. How do we use those 
um, impactfully and, and strategically to, to hold water and manage it until such a time that it can be released to the pumps after these kind of critical high-level periods have passed. And how do we address as individuals, as residents and, and businesses within the city, how do we you know, address 80% of the land where we have to do as, um, as Urban Conservancy is focusing on, which is helping the individuals um, develop strategies on their own properties to hold the water and to address that water balance. And I think Dana is really best served to talk about that. Well, we actually have <clears throat> three people in this room that are, uh, in addition to Prisca, and we're, we're going to come back to Joe on a whole different level, but uh, who who are involved in the process of organizing people. So uh, levies.org was a, is a perfect example of an organization that was uh, led by um, uh, people in the very beginning, with Sandy, who who said, this is unacceptable and we have to do something about it and organized around it. So it, it's one thing. I, I totally agree. We can just literally go to our corner and, and call our neighbors and work on it. But I'm thinking, why don't we have through NPM, through levelies.org, through IC Change, through um, Urban Conservancy, some kind of a collaborative effort to literally assign a monitor to each block who keeps an eye on that catch basin and makes that 311 call, but not a day before, you know, an expected uh, onslaught. Oh, by the way, that reminds me. I just want to – let me come back to the weather service because I forgot, <laughs> left them out because, you know, I have, I have some strong views about that as well. But, um, okay, so t tell me about how levies.org got organized, and, and, and let's talk about how can we get ourselves together in some sort of – because it, it isn't a job that any one of these organizations can do. We all have to get together around it. Levies.org started as a very grassroots movement, started as a um, just a bunch of angry people, all angry for obvious reasons, noticing that the blame was going in the wrong direction, not really knowing why, ultimately finding out that the blame was being directed by the folks who should have had the blame to begin with. And then as it grew, scientists, media, and whatnot en embraced it as it was embraced by the media, embraced by scientists, embraced by you all, it grew bigger and bigger and, you know, grew up to over 25,000 followers at one point. It's tapered off a bit, but we still have a mission in getting the story straight and letting everybody know what really happened here. No, I'm change your name. <coughs> you know, it's pumpingstations.org now. I'm, I'm kidding. At, well, at that time, it was good to have a website that was the same name as your organization. Yeah. So that... The website and the organization were the same. And also the word that we were using more than anything else, levies, because we all learned pretty quickly that we didn't deal with the hurricane. We were a cataclysm. The definition of a cataclysm is a water catastrophe that was caused by the surges that knocked down the walls, and the walls were knocked down partially by poor design, but also by coastal erosion that has resulted in increased uh, surges. It was pretty much design only. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I will... Uh, it's interesting that you say in jest, but it's, there's something to it that levies.org, you know, this idea of pumping stations.org, because in the same way that a, a lot of uh, levies.org's effective messaging was, but levies are not enough, and this idea of lines of defense and that, 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 that the levies are part of a larger system, and we have to understand that whole system in the same way, that's the message that we have to get out today is, the pumping system... It's drainage, isn't it? Drainage.org maybe the, is the, the word. But, but it is important to note because a lot of what we saw yesterday at the city council meeting was the pumping, 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 pumping station. And what we've all been talking about here is pumping station is the last line of defense, mm -hmm. essentially, that there's so much that we can do. The things like picking up the litter so not as much stuff is making it into the storage <laughs> drains to, to hold co uh, contractors accountable so that they're not clogging up uh, the A number of people uh, talked about all the construction sites and the likelihood that yeah. a lot of that debris got into the lines mm -hmm. as well. And how about the fact that we used to have waste paper baskets on the streets no more? Right, right. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's, it's, you know, that, yes, the pumping systems, yes, we need accountability, yes, we need transparency, yes, we need honesty, and yes, we need functionality at the pumping systems. But before we get there, what the hell do we do with all that water that's coming out of the sky, those nine inches? 
we've got to slow it down. We've got to hold on to it before it hits that system. So that's the big question, and that's what really the media needs to be focusing on right now is not, yes, the pumping system, that's part of it, but that's not the sum total of what it is that we need to be addressing. Maybe we should call it watercontrol.org. There you go. Well, mm. yeah. People call it living with water. Um, you know, a lot of our kind of, uh, you know, post-Katrina methods are kind of, you know, inspired by what we learned from the Dutch, which is this whole culture and community culture in managing water. It's thousands of years old. And what's interesting about it is, like, it actually has permeated, like, their ma their water management system permeates their cultural, like, l outlook on life. They they do collaborative decision-making be between kids and parents. And for me, like, I you know, as I got to see, my neighborhood was a lake, and I kayaked on it for five hours and met new neighbors that I had What's not met before. What's your neighborhood? Gentilly. Yeah, so I live in Gentilly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have been kind of recruiting people to help be observers for mm -hmm. us. And in that process, have gotten to know them. And it's been wonderful. We actually published a story at 10 a.m. on Saturday before the floods about the persistent floods one of our neighbors has been experiencing. And she um, had agreed to host a rain gauge and map how much water fell every day and took pictures of them on icchange.org. And anybody mm -hmm. with their phone, uh, an Android or an iPhone, or on the online can do this. If you've got persistent puddles, if you've flooded three or four times in the last four months, we want to know, like, each event. And we can actually give you a rain gauge to do this and measure how much rain fell and how big your puddle is. And um, we noted her property had been sited on DPW in the last two years three times. Um, you know, I contacted DPW. Um, you know, we checked her catch basins. They were fine to what we could see. And so we put a time-lapse camera up on the utility pole and we captured the entire event, um, including when the rain started and when the rain stopped. And with that data, uh, along with some GPS elevation data that we've, we took with some members of uh, the Tulane Water Institute and some volunteers that we have um, working with us, we're going to be able to model this a little bit. We're going to be able to actually look at how much rain fell and how big this bottle was and per event, and then this flood event, and see how that all plays in. So uh, to, 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 um, that's a particular focus and a particular approach, but part of what you're talking about is communications. Yeah. And communications was a big part of the problem of what happened on Saturday because, I, again, I, I was not hearing anything and maybe I, I wasn't, I didn't have my, you know, cell phone. It was Saturday, for goodness sake, you know. If there's any day you don't want to have to be looking at that thing, it's Saturday. So <laughs> I wasn't really, but I, I just, the only way that I knew it was bad, I my property, <clears throat> I'm on very high ground. I'm on Esplanade Ridge, mm. and I have um, two-thirds of an acre around my house, or a third of an acre, I forget what it is. But anyway, we're blocked through, so we have a lot of land, and it absorbs, it does exactly what Priska and, 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 and all of you were really saying, is that we have to retain the water further back. Um, and I, I, um, I, I just feel concerned that um, we, we're not uh, looking at um, a more organized way of pulling all these efforts together and, and looking at how we can um, kind of not just log, observe and communicate. So maybe we need, you know, the old-fashioned phone trees that we used to do in the old days before social media, literally getting somebody on the phone. And again, having somebody assigned to a particular mm -hmm. block yeah. strikes me as an important solution. But um, I want to um, also talk for a minute about the Weather Service, and, and um, I want to broadcast my favorite app. So I have an app called My Radar. Oh, Forrest loves that one. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. you know, a guy from RAND Corporation. RAND is a major national research organization. My husband works with them. And they had uh, their brainiacs in town one day for lunch, and I'm sitting next to one of them, and I was complaining something about the weather. And he said, well, do you have my, my radar? I said, no, show me my radar. So my radar is this thing that it's, it's just plain radar. You go in, and it's no, you know, weather channel nonsense that you have to search. And it's, you can actually just zero in on any place on the whole globe. Mm -hmm. But what the beauty of it is you can zero in on, on Broad and, and um, um, Orleans and see exactly what's going on right there. Or then you can pull back, and you see, I'm looking right now, there's a big bunch of yellow and, and uh, red coming up from Houston. So you, yeah. when, if, when you looked at my radar on Saturday morning, 
And you saw this kind of long sausage of, of yellow and orange from here to Houston. To me, I would call that a tropical depression. Now, I guess there's another definition. Somebody in this room probably knows the answer to what is the, is the official uh, basis on which you declare something a tropical, de tropical depression. But the 22nd flood, and the, it was a rain event just before that, and they all struck me. I said, man, these things really feel like tropical depressions that we're having one after the other. Tell me why it's not a tropical depression, number one. Number two, couldn't the weather service have put out the word that says, okay, you know, folks, this is not really a tropical depression, but you know what? It's going to act like one. And you are going to feel the effects of it that are like that. Be prepared. Why couldn't they have done that? I feel like the weather service let us down, too. Tell me I'm wrong. Maybe they took Saturday off as well. No. Seems like everybody took it off. <laughs> Actually, the, uh, we work with some of the members of the National Weather Service, and we talked to them a little bit about what they – Joe, what, do you want to talk about the definition of a tropical depression? <laughs> well, a tropical Sorry. depression would require a, a low-pressure system and some circulation yeah. and some I, organization. I think it is. The yeah. circulation makes a difference. Okay. Well, let's say you don't have the circulation. You just have this thing moving very slowly, and it has the effect of dumping a lot of rain. That's what a tropical depression does, right? So let's, let's, re let's change the definition. That would be a tropical <laughs> wave. They're, they have that. Well, Thank you. Yeah, you know, right. But you're getting at it. Though. You're totally okay. getting at it in the sense that what we've, uh, we, when we published our story on 10 a.m. on Saturday, it was about the fact that with climate change, we are going to be expecting smaller, 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 and more intense storms. And those are harder for the National Weather Service to be able to predict and, project, and project. So for that morning, they took a, a, a reading at 7 a.m. to kind of figure out what temperature would precipitate rain, literally, I guess, like precipitate precipitation. That's back uh, to right? the issue. <laughs> yeah. So, the convection. And, right. Yes. And then the other thing is, you know, they saw it coming, but again, when do you issue an emergency alert? That is a very subjective um, call, and uh, the reason why is what you saw what happened with us. The same amount of rain does not fall in the same place, and the way that a singular place reacts to rain is extraordinarily unique. In New Orleans, we're all connected in that regard, but that's why it's so, we're saying it's so important for every person to have command of their block, street, or whatnot in the way it reacts to rain, because that could you know, start the chain reaction. But in this case, you know, the National Weather Service has to make a decision to press the emergency button, and that is subjective. Um, because they can't, they don't, the only real official rain gauge that they have access to is at the, is at the airport. Sewage and Water Board has their own rain gauges. And they have those that we, you know, in hindsight, were able to collect. But the National Weather Service was making the call based on, on what they were seeing with, on social media, flood events. The rain r rate was, for the radar, was six inches. Um, so it was an intense rain event. But when, when do you make that call is one person with a button. So it sounds to me like the process needs to change then. It's just like clearly there are certain processes within city government that are a factor here too that we haven't even touched on yet. But, you know, one of the things I understand has been going on with the repair work that was being done at the pumping stations and why so many uh, pumping stations were down is because, quite frankly, there were some contracts that just didn't get through the process in City Hall to get the work started. This is what I'm hearing now. I don't know. This is hearsay. Don't quote me on it. But I understand that that's another part, that's another link in the change, is that if <clears throat> once you figure out what you need to do, you've got to do it a little bit faster. And one of the things that really slows work down in the city is the whole contracting process. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. But I know it. We, we all have experienced it, I'm sure, how slow it can be. And that we have to address that as well. But maybe the, 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 the process of defining a weather event and its danger needs to be really looked at hard because, again, my definition was on my radar. <laughs> and I see this <laughs> blob of yellow and orange between here and Houston, and I'm saying, uh-oh, this is not going to be over in an hour. This is not a summer afternoon dump. This is more serious. So if I could look on, on my little app, on my little computer and see that, why, why couldn't that be, why couldn't there be some other more um, nuanced way of saying weather alert? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not, okay, a tropical depression is coming, um, but we're going to see a whole lot of rainfall. 
uh, am I yeah. off base here? No, I'm not. Um, I mean, and that's the thing is that we we um, the event lasted a little bit longer than an hour. It was it actually was a sh relatively short event because we have the time lapse to see it. But I could actually because I was home. I just come home from a meeting. I could tell we were an event. My street doesn't really rain that long, often. What we have just launched on IC Change is a notification system. So we can send, if, if someone tells us that we, you know, hey, I'm flooding or whatnot on IC Change, we can actually send a text message to people on their iPhone and their Android app and in their email. We only had it running. Within that area? Yes, within an area. I can okay. select all but of them. But we need something yeah. like that citywide. Yeah. No, we, c I can, we can do that for us, but we hope that we would be able to work with the city. I'm not going to replace 311. 311 is an official government channel. However, we can definitely be a part of those channels, and citizens need to be knowing, hey, if it's flooded here, I'm going to report it. Like, I'm going to report it in every channel I possibly can. You know, Facebook and Twitter, those were all working too. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, like, th that's where people started to issue the emergency alert. I, I want to jump. So, uh, Jean. Go ahead, Prisca. I, just before we leave that topic, I just to be fair to the powers that be, I, I want to bring the conversation quickly back around to one of your key points, which is how is it that we don't know this is happening? And, um, you know, there's a whole new list of meteorological conditions that have um, been experienced with some frequency in the last number of years. One of them is something called a rain bomb, which is essentially an inverted tornado. It's a macro burst of rain that's produced by a thunderstorm, but it has to do with the drop of pressure and a certain number of conditions within a rain event that creates these incredible downpours that, you know, really when you're looking at radar, there's no way to anticipate that dy those dynamic conditions that would create these super intense events. So we do need to continue to have the conversation while we do need to address our more frequent, you know, rain events and what we're going to do about that. We also have to continue the conversation on how are we going to evolve our infrastructure to be able to accept these extreme events because they're going to be happening with more frequency. Um, and Dana's touched on this, and Julia's touched on this, and everyone. I mean, the relationship between our 100-year levees and the 10-year storm capabilities of our pump system, when it's at its functioning at its best, the discrepancy between those and, you know, these big events that were happening, um, you know, that's the space that this conversation needs to happen in. And this new concept of the, creating a natural infrastructure system where we're using the topology, the typography of the city, and we're using our personal assets, our land and our buildings and other things to retain water, that's the secret to solving this problem because there are going to be times when it can't be anticipated, and those are the ones where we get the most damage. Okay. Now, I, I, I'm going to switch the conversation here for a few minutes because I don't want to leave out um, this possibility. Um, th there's liability involved here, isn't there, Mr. Bruno? <laughs> there's always. I mean, there's a lot. There's of always people. a potential for liability. Okay, so, so uh, I'd like to just uh, <laughs> because in, in terms of putting the pressure on for more proce for the process changes that we're talking about and that we need, and, and to have the, the the fire under the feet of the public officials, whether they're in the Public Works Department or Homeland Security or the Mayor's Office or where, Sewage and Water or wherever, um, sometimes it takes a little bit of legal action, no? No doubt, but the problem is that we, um, we've, we've gotten to a very strange place because the Sewage and Water Board, uh, if, they would, if they do wrong, like they've done uh, to all those homeowners next to the drainage projects, uh, they can be held uh, as in a judgment, but you can't collect the judgment. So because the, the city doesn't have the money. No, because you can't seize their assets. You can't seize the assets of the city, which is why oh. you don't get paid when you sue and get a judgment against the city. You cannot seize the assets of the housing authority, which is why when your children are exposed to lead paint and they have damage for the rest of their lives, you can't collect your money because they are immune and they. We've made a we've made a a, a decision on a on a, on a on a on a regional basis that it's more important to have a housing authority than it is to have a safe housing authority. The theory being that if you make them responsible for their bad acts, then they won't have money to provide housing. So you know I, we could debate that for the next hundred years, but you know it, it it is at least something that needs to be understood now. 
what you've seen over the weekend is the most obvious kind of of pressure and that is the first thing that these folks did was run and hide and they lied which tells me that there was a deep concern over sharing the truth and so they came up with an explanation like the corps of engineers did the levees performed this design which probably is gets me more than most and let me relate this to your each of your point when i was a kid we used to go up on top of the levee and watch the hurricanes come in now if i would have known and i used to watch the water splash on the top i did not know that if the water goes over the top of the levee the levee will fail i didn't know that the flood planners didn't know that folks who live behind the levees didn't know that but that's how it was that the Corps of Engineers could say that the levees performed as designed because they were designed in such a way to be high enough to keep out the water. But they were not designed in such a way to stay up if the water went over the top. Now, we have probably the best drainage system in the world. And as a result, we're spoiled because the truth of it is the water gets pumped out pretty quickly when the pumps are working. And, and just if I might add a footnote to that real quick because I just wanted Julia to know this because I don't know whether how long you've been in the city, but the truth of the matter is that the pumping system used in Amsterdam was created and innovated here, which goes back to my opening remarks about how innovation has to be a part of our conversation. How can we... That was the Tulane student in 1920, the... the is that the right, what you're mm -hmm. talking about? Right. That's yeah. right, the big screw. The big screw. A Baldwin yeah. Wood. <laughs> it's right, the biggest screw pump in the world. So anyway, but, but what, what the point that you made about the Dutch, the Dutch, of course, you know, we had to go to the Netherlands to find experts because no one else would work for us. So we went to the Delft University in the Netherlands, and the first thing that they said when they get here is, why are you trying to contain water? Why are you trying to control water? You can't control the water. You've got to work. You've got to work with the water. You don't put a big giant wall. I mean, the, the, the pumping stations at the lake are a joke because the pumping stations inside the city should be at the lake, and there should be no walls. There should be open uh, uh, canals, which would be beautiful, be aesthetic, would allow water not to pile up behind those walls. But that goes to the cultural issue. I do believe it's a cultural issue. I think that you've got to change the way you think. Uh, so you have you have uh, you have leaves in your catch basin, and you say, well, it's just one catch basin. So why am I going to worry about one catch basin? And my neighbor throws trash on the ground, so why would I worry about maybe you know not throwing my trash on the ground, even though it'll end up in the in the in the sewer system? I watch people throw things out of their cars every of day. Of course you do. So, but that does does that? What does that mean? It means that each of one of us, when we start at the basic level, like you guys are saying over and over again, then you have to have some sense of your own discipline. But it starts with information. It starts with knowing. We live in a bowl, and we are encountering things that I know I don't understand. I'm not a climate change researcher, scientist. I can't explain it to you. All I know is it's a lot more rain than I ever saw in my entire life. I know that the water is it's been raining now for a month. Can't get any work done. People who work outside are dying. You know, I mean, they, they want to work. So there's something going on here. To your point, you have to know your neighborhood. You get to know when the water starts to pile up. That's a sign of something bad that's happening. Uh, you, you know, it, 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 it's, it's always interesting because, you know, you go back in time, you know, it was, well, the termites. Remember when the termites were taking over the city? That's everybody was worried about the, the termites. And now uh, water is becoming an issue. So it's, it's the problem du jour. <coughs> that doesn't change the fact that we need to know what the problem is, we need to think about ways to deal with it. We're not going to make it go away, but we could probably handle the problem. And these are all wonderful ideas. I, I guess also what I'm, I mean, that's what we're talking about in general in this show, but specifically I came back to you to say, where's our leverage? Where's well, our, where's our, do we have legal you leverage? Can, we could, let's start with some fundamentals here. The fact that the machines weren't, working doesn't necessarily mean that they were negligent. It could be that they were negligent. Okay, One would assume that if you have a pumping system uh, in a bowl that it should be at all times working at X capacity. Fill in the blank. 
not, you know, not necessary. But with 100 percent backup. Right. Well, I mean, you should have that. There's no backup. There should be some thinking about what happens if something goes south. Now, what we know is very little, and we need to know a whole lot more. And, you know, to the mayor's credit, I will say that he has said his point of action is they're going to do an analysis and understand more about what we're talking about around this table. Well, they need to know more about the culture there, too, because the big problem with the Corps of Engineers is the culture, and that's been – that was – Is it the core? Not the core in this case. The core first, because the culture there is money is power, and they have too much money and too much power, and they just don't relate in any way to individual people. I keep hearing they don't have enough. That's what they told the Dutch. They never have enough money, but, you know, they live large. But, uh, but the point I'm making, though, is that you've got people in this sewage and water board. For, and again, uh, Jefferson Avenue, Napoleon Avenue, they say, well, my goodness, you know, we're blocking your streets for two years, but we're improving your, your, your drainage. And, and the guy can't get out of his front yard says, well, wait, I'm responsible for the whole city, just me? No thought about my, my, uh, my life, how I survive? And, and, and that's the culture. It's not, it's not really... Uh, directed to individuals who are going to be impacted the most. There are houses that are lower. There are thresholds that are lowered. You should know where your threshold is. You should know the likelihood of a flood. You should know if six inches means water in your, in your house or ten inches is water in your house. Those are the kinds of things that you have to educate yourself on. The city should help. The data is out there. Uh, you've probably gotten a flood survey. You know this information. So you have to arm yourself with as much information as you can. You have to do what individuals can do. Beyond that, I guess, you know, if, if you believe in c complaining a lot to the city, I'm going to call them 12,000 times. If you're going to do that, my advice would be document it because the real power of, of calling someone over and over is to be able to say, I have evidence that I called you 200 times and you didn't respond. If you just call and let it go with that, then who's going to say you called? So we're if you're going to do this kind of stuff, you've got to understand how to make it work for you. So we're talking a lot here about um, uh, information, again, not just uh, the communication issue at the time of the event, in advance of the event, and then after the fact, how we actually um, uh, gather the information that we need. That's what I see change is focused on, and that's what we all have to be focused on. I, I, I get that. We have about um, 10 minutes left in the show. What I want to focus on at, at the moment is, you know, one of the things that I, I work with an organization that is kind of an arts and economic development organization, and we've taken on as art people the idea of um, designing for living with climate change. So we're just at a very early stage of it, but we're getting into putting together a national competition to get design ideas for how to live with climate change. And this is everything from architectural to interiors. Landscape is the thing that we have talked about a little bit today. And, and actually, maybe um, if one of you would send me a couple articles on the kinds of things that you can do on your property that make a difference, I will put that in my next newsletter. I know, Prisca, you've got material because you were giving me some of your ideas that I didn't completely understand. but. Um, I think that, I, again, I have so much property around my house. Thank God when I bought my house, it was real cheap. So I was a, nobody wanted to live where I was. They would, all, they would call me when I would invite them to a party and ask me if I had security guards, and I'd say, give me a break. <laughs> just, come on to my house. Can I, get, I could just insert a 30-second uh, plug for anyone out there who um, has access to NOLA.com uh, to check out Jarvis DeBerry's article today. Um, on um, what you can do with your own front yard, and that, that relates to our program, the Front Yard Initiative. Don't have time to talk about it now, but you... Please, no, go ahead. Yeah, well, That's in what terms we're of design, though, like to, to see some really gorgeous things that are both, I mean, functionally uh, in, make an incredible difference, not only for the individual, but for their community, for their neighborhood. There's an example on our Facebook page, the Conservancy Facebook page, but uh, Jarvis mentions it, too. After that flood event on Saturday, one of the Front Yard Initiative clients, this is uh, people that go through a program that we have designed to incentivize people to remove excessive paving in their yard and replace that with water-loving uh, landscaping, um, native plants and 
and different and the big tree biosphere. project I just heard about somebody wants to build a million trees and they said if we actually built built if we planted a million trees in the city of New Orleans we would absorb I forget what the number was but a huge yeah, percentage of the water they're, yeah. they're, they're incredible pumps um, but but yeah so look Jarvis DeBerry talks about what we can do as individuals with our yard but this particular house she texted me on Sunday to say hey just wanted to let you know our house is doing great they before they had this intervention which is beautiful like design I would be happy to take anybody by there to to inspire them to do something similar um, to their yard before that they have they have no drainage on their street and that's something a lot of people deal with but but and they would get eight inches of water before in their yard at the low point before it would find its way around the corner to the drainage and now that they've created spaces for the water to hold on their yard they're doing work not only for their house but for their neighbors houses as well they're holding a lot of water so there's less street flooding as a result of one individual's intervention so something to, to think about other ways that we can innovate as we go forward and um, you know again I think that sometimes uh, the ideas come from citizens from one uh, homeowner and then they filter up to government and ultimately all, all government makes the commitment to join um, the struggle so to speak so um, uh, uh, HJ what about you is there something else that in the work that you all have been doing with levies.org you've thought about lately that it would make a big difference in not necessarily in levies.org in my own personal projects I have uh, done a lot of uh, work with uh, paving with pavers that are porous, that do not create the 100% runoff like asphalt or concrete does, and you know, sidewalks, walkways, little roadways, all of that can add up and can limit the amount of water that has to be pumped and keep the water that needs to keep your oak trees and your trees healthy right there in your yard, in your, in your soil, and keeping them healthy. I had several oak trees that people told me, oh, well, those, are, those, are, those are all dying. We pulled up the concrete and we put down the, uh, the porous pavers and the oak trees are doing great now. Fantastic, interesting. Uh, Prisca, what about you? Innovative strategies for looking at this on a long, longer term basis going forward? Uh, well, I think similarly, uh, you know, the most that we can affect is what we can affect in our own lives and um, most of, you know quickly. Um, and so, as one example, my my block in Treme is has gotten together and turned a, a typical tree planting um, opportunity into a complete water management strategy for our block, working with the Urban Conservancy and the Front Yard Initiative. Um, and it's been really empowering because it's it's um, we've taken a collective approach whereby those of us with more property are taking more water on our property and those with more paving are, you know, or less physical space to do interventions are doing, you know, cisterns and ways to store water above the ground. And, and it's become a great educative process for all of us. And out of that is coming a, a nonprofit called Go Flood Me, uh, which is all about helping neighborhoods understand how to maintain water on their properties in a healthy way that supports the health of the city that does not create more um, damage. And that is going to be creating this template for neighborhoods, other neighborhoods in the city and other blocks who want to take this kind of collective action. Did you say go flood me? Yes, go Sorry. flood me. Bring the, bring the water on. We can take it. We're designing, we are designing for water. We are learning to live with water. Uh, my husband uh, had a, a big birthday just recently on um, back up in Coney Island where he's originally from, you know, some 50 years ago. And um, it's, the name of this neighborhood is called Seagate. So he did an artwork that basically said gate to the sea because he says the same thing. We have to welcome it and, and deal with it because trying to keep it out is not going to work anymore. Joe, from, from your perspective, from the legal perspective, is there anything? All right, so if it's not punitive, if we can't sue the city, got it. Uh, what, what can we do? You, no, we can sue the city, okay? The question is, is it economically feasible to sue the city? And we're suing the Sewerage and Water Board as we speak oh. uh, for the damages done for Napoleon Avenue, Jefferson, and so forth and so on. Uh, okay. The Corps of Engineers is a big part of that. Believe it or don't, they're there, and they have to be a part of the solution. Um, it, litigation 
has as one of its goals to make people responsible for what they do to hurt other people so it is a very powerful tool to promote change you know if you hurt someone you will pay therefore you change your behavior these guys know that if they find out if they turned off the pumps they're going to be fired so they lie about it i mean it's 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 really easy to understand what motivates human behavior so uh... in this instance it's probably not a good idea to file a lawsuit unless you have un you know unlimited resources and you can just mess with them because got nothing else to do well you know frankly we sued the core knowing full well that the likelihood of success was not very high and in that process but you called a lot of attention well, that, to the design and issues. we got so a again, lot of information information we, in, i mean the the, the test in the Tavla basin where uh, they tested the sheet pile and it fell over and they scratched out the word failed and put the word performed in its place it should be you know that to me is emblematic of all of this foolishness right so it, it's, it, it, we need information. There has to be transparency. There has to be participation. There has to be understanding. I mean, it's it, this. It could go on and on and on and on. Uh, but I think it starts with we have a problem. We need to recognize that it is a problem. It is going to hurt us in the future unless each of us uh, decides to do something. And the, what's wonderful about this conversation is it's clear that people can do something. And the best part about what I'm hearing is the something that they can do is more aesthetic. It's more fun. It's cheap. It's cheap. It, 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 all of these things. I mean, what is more ugly than a concrete driveway? I mean, really. It, it, a, a, con a concrete front yard. A con concrete front yard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very it's – it's, look, this, this – I like to say, uh, you know, Wendell Goethe always taught me to be Pollyanna. There's always a silver lining everywhere. And, you know, one would hope that this is going to require us to see, open our eyes and see and react appropriately. And, you know, uh, the, 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 I, I mean, I thought I was the only guy that talked to the Dutch. I mean, it's about time that people start talking about their culture. You too, I know. So, but I mean, I know you're in our little group. Uh, it, 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 it's a remarkable thing to see that whole economy. Not, not the, the whole economy is based on water. I mean, I think every one in ten people works in water in, no. in, in, in the Netherlands, you know. So, uh, so there it is. Uh, the, the one thing I want to sort of circle back to the beginning of the show when I listed some of the various um, constituencies, in a sense, in this, and the Sewage and Water Board, Homeland Security, Public Works, the Mayor's Office, the Weather Service, ultimately the Feds, and ultimately, the whole international global um, uh, global warming um, arena. But uh, one thing that didn't happen here that um, I learned a long time ago, when I was actually asked to do a plan for emergency uh, development in in New York, I didn't know what I was doing. Quite frankly, I was just out of school. But uh, it was interesting that way back then, that was uh, never mind. <laughs> that was too long ago. But. Um, Coordination between those agencies, all those uh, folks, that has to happen. That's not happening. And maybe, again, we can call them. We, the citizens, can call them together. If they won't call themselves together, let's us do it. And so the city council thing was great for really highlighting the impact on people. But let us make sure that we bring all the parties together from both our neighborhoods, our homes, and, and, and the, the major players that have the power to make the changes. Well, I guess I have to close off because Jazz has got my music going. And, and the irony of it is the song that he's playing is It Ain't My Fault. <laughs> That's my theme song. Brilliant. I don't know why. But um, y'all were great. Um, H.J. Bosworth, um, Dana Ennis, and... Um, uh, Julia Kumari Drapkin and Joe Bruno and Prisca Weems. Um, I hope we don't have to convene anytime soon to uh, review this conversation, but um, maybe out of this we can also stimulate some action. That's what it's all about, action. Gee, this is Gene Nathan. It's Cross Town Conversations. We'll be back next Wednesday, and uh, maybe we'll have some new enlightenment on this, or maybe we'll just have another subject altogether. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.